Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. You're listening to the FT Money Show, brought to you by Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Hello and welcome to the FT Money Show. In today's programme, probably the best bank in the UK, what a nationalised Northern Rock can now offer savers, the alphabet soup of tax-efficient investing, why EISs are overtaking VCTs as the scheme of choice, fading stars which funds and fund managers have lost their sparkling performance, and we have some good news and bad news for frequent flyers on the world's favourite airline. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with the help of my colleague from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hello. And from Investors Chronicle, John McLeod. Hello. Hello. And uh, let's start then with the money news. Last weekend, uh, we saw the creation of a new entity in the banking industry, the First National Savings Bank of Newcastle, which will be familiar to uh, more of you, I think, as Northern Rock. Now it's about to be nationalised, it will be able to offer products that are fully backed by HM Government. So has it gone from the bank that you queue up outside to get your money out of to the bank you queue up outside to put your money into? Steve, nationalisation is going to mean Northern Rock is the safest bank in the UK. Indeed, Matthew. It's, it's, it's national savings, but arguably with some better savings rates. Um, currently, it's offering fixed rates of up to about six and a half and similar on instant access. The terms vary, obviously, with the particular account. Um, we are in a sort of a period, though, when those returns might be particularly good. In a month's time, the bank will be required to kind of justify what it's going to do going forwards, and there will be this whole debate about is it unfairly competing. So the expectation is savings rates will drop, which means, of course, that if you're looking for a fixed rate, it's the old argument about locking into a fix with rates about to fall, whether it's base rates or because of a less competitive bank. Um, do it now because they're not going to be able to change the terms after next month. Um, on the other side, you've got mortgage borrowers. Position's very murky. You know, lots of people saying, well, you know, what on earth is going to happen to mortgage borrowers? All sorts of suggestions about the bank actually not wanting mortgage borrowers. But, of course, don't forget, this is its core product as well. Eventually, sometime in the future, the government's going to want to resell Northern Rock, which is whose main product is mortgage lending. So it is going to have to sell some mortgages or appeal to mortgage borrowers in some way. Um, but it's unclear 
yet what that will mean in terms of mortgage rates. I suppose the issue here is that because it's now nationalised and backed by the government, it's not allowed um, to offer any rates that might be seen as anti-competitive, in other words, better than any of the other high street banks or building societies can offer. But if you're saying that you can get 6.5% fixed for, is that for one year? Yes, yes, I think so, yes. I mean, the, the, I think they've got bonds over a, n- a number of terms. So, so that 6.5%, uh, which you can get now fully, fully guaranteed, that is better than or as good as anything on the high street. And so um, might they have to re- well, reduce those rates uh, in the future in order to, to be a bit more like national savings, which obviously isn't allowed uh, to offer the highest possible rates? That seems to be the suggestion. Of course, that's certainly what the competition would like, um, for them not to be so competitive. Um, but there are all sorts of interesting questions raised here, aren't there? I mean, take on the mortgage side. If we have a further mortgage rate cut, if the if Northern Rock doesn't pass on the full base rate cut to its borrowers, it's going to be guilty of doing what the government's accused other mortgage lenders of doing, of, of shortchanging borrowers. And yes, if it does pass that cut on, is it going to become too competitive? I think we're in, I mean, we're certainly in uncharted territory here, but what you can definitively say as years is, is that um, for savers, if you can get a very good return from Northern Rock, which you can, particularly a fix that's guaranteed that won't change, that won't become more uncompetitive, it's got to be a no-brainer. So it's time to get on the pavement and, and queue up for that uh, high-rate account. Indeed. New t- queues to get into branches to put your money in rather than get it out. And just very quickly, last week in uh, the FT Money Show, we talked about the high rates available from overseas banks, uh, particularly those in Iceland, um, We now, I suppose, have three levels of investor protection in this country. We have 100% guarantee from the government with Northern Rock. We have uh, the basic compensation scheme for all other UK authorised banks and building societies up to £35,000 of any uh, deposit with any individual bank. Um, But those overseas banks, they can sometimes be authorised in their own home countries. What happens there? Well, indeed, it's a kind of passport, a European passport type arrangement. Um, so they're entitled to come and sell their savings products to UK savers. Were they to go bust, um, your first claim would be on the on the home country compensation scheme. In practice, you you would be topped up in virtually every case. I mean, we're looking into this at the moment, seeing if there are any anomalies. But I think the real lesson is... Um, to take away from all this and possibly take away from the whole Northern Rock crisis is check how your bank's authorised. There are anomalies. There are anomalies, for example, that um, you could, um, with the Halifax, for example, it has any number of different brands. Now, some of these umbrella brands, if you like, you'd only be covered for £35,000 in total. So it's a question of making sure you know exactly how much of your money is protected or if you want that 100% government-backed guarantee, it's uh, up to Newcastle. Thanks, Steve. And uh, you can read all about how the nationalised Northern Rock will affect the savings market in this week's FT Money, in the weekend FT on the 23rd and 24th of February, and online at ft.com forward slash money. You can also send in your questions by emailing us at money at ft.com. Still to come in the programme, fund managers that have lost their star ratings and some good news and bad news on getting money back on flights. But first, with the end of the tax year looming, it's traditionally a time when investors think about sheltering their money from income tax in tax-efficient schemes. 
But according to Oxford Capital, this year it's not the income tax relief offered by venture capital trusts that's attracting most interest. It's the inheritance tax exemption and capital gains tax deferral offered by enterprise investment schemes, or EISs, that investors are going for. Now, John, you've been having a look at that this week. The smart money does appear to be going into EIS schemes these days rather than venture capital trusts. There's a combination of factors for that. There's good gains to be made from private equity, and the EIS relief is now much more generous than that for VCTs. It amounts to up to 100% tax relief on your investment. So I met Ted Mott from Oxford Capital Partners, who are an EIS fund manager, and he explained why so much money has been moving towards EIS funds. There has indeed been a big change in the landscape, I think for four reasons. First of all, uh, the advantages of venture capital trusts, which are, have been well known for many years, have been chopped down by the government. Uh, secondly, that the whole uh, range of tax advantages of EIS funds uh, are now much broader than almost any other tax scheme, giving uh, deductions of income tax, deferral of capital gains tax, exemption from inheritance tax, and uh, total freedom from capital gains on the profits of the fund. And thirdly, uh, there's much more profile for EIS funds today, John. We've seen how a number of uh, excellent firms have emerged, people like uh, Foresight, uh, Octopus, ourselves. I suppose the three of us are probably the the leaders of the sector. But most importantly, more and more other people are setting up EIS funds, which is excellent. And fourthly and finally, I think there's um, a convergence of investment strategy where uh, great new growth fields like sustainability technologies can now be combined with these tax advantages. It makes a powerful package for the EIS funds. Some investors might think backing early-stage companies might be a slightly risky thing to do, particularly if we're going to slightly difficult economic times. I mean, what what would you say to that? You're correct, John. We're in a bit of a downturn at the moment, as we know, uh, in the days of Northern Rock and credit squeezes and so on. The first thing, I'm just reminded that uh, that famous investment manager, uh, Sir John Templeton, and Warren Buffett would be saying the same thing. Uh, When there are times of despair, that's a time to be investing some of your money, not just waiting for everything to turn. But uh, the second facet of there is that, uh, as a specialist in investing in uh, technological progress, um, if you go around any uh, of the, the opportunities which we see, there's enormous progress being made independently of the business cycle. There's very low correlation. That what this means is that at times of uh, economic downturn, one can have uh, super value opportunities uh, to invest in companies at even better value uh, with great potential. That was John talking to Ted Mott of Oxford Capital Partners. Um, and, and John, let's just, let's just be very clear on the tax reliefs, uh, very attractive tax reliefs that are available on enterprise investment schemes. Um, taking the income tax uh, situation first. On income tax, you get 20% relief on your investment. Then you can charter capital gains. The, the, the income tax relief is up to £400,000 per person per year. You can charter unlimited capital gains, saving potentially 40%. And after a two-year holding period, they become exempt from inheritance tax, saving another 40%. The investments themselves are tax-free on the capital gains side, but dividends are taxable. But basically, you're getting relief from income, capital gains and inheritance tax, which is something that's not available on any other scheme, really. It's pretty much the holy grail for investors for the moment until it gets cracked down on. So I suppose the, uh, the trick is to, to go and find... Uh, an EIS that's investing in the sorts of companies, the sorts of businesses that you're comfortable with, and take advantage of these uh, tax reliefs. I mean, you've got to be aware that they are relatively high risk. It is 
some of them are quite early stage, and there's a limit. It's now, it used to be 15 million, but now it's 7 million is the, the limit on the size of the companies. So th- th- there is a bit of a risk, but if the managers are finding good companies with growth potential, they ne- wouldn't necessarily be hit in a downturn. Well, certainly tax-saving opportunities there. And if you'd like to know more about these um, tax rules, look out for John's article uh, in the Investors Chronicle, which is on sale from the 22nd of February. And there's also a piece in FT Money with the Weekend FT on the 23rd and 24th of February. Coming up, we have good news and bad news on claiming back money from British Airways and Virgin. For that, though, fund managers. Many investment funds have shown they can produce good returns in rising markets. But the ability of fund managers to outperform as markets fall has been called into question in recent months. This has led some investors and advisors to move their money to more proven performers. So to find out which star managers are still burning bright, Ellen Kelleher of FT Money spoke to Mira Patel of Hargreaves Lansdowne. Mira, some star fund managers have managed to outperform uh the benchmark in their particular sectors. Who would you suggest investors turn to if they are looking for an income fund, for example? Well, I guess the obvious one in this space, which I guess tends to be on most people's radars, is um, Investor Perpetual Income, managed by Neil Woodford. Now, in all fairness to him, um, he, he has one of the most consistent track records Uh, in the equity income field. If you look at his very short-term numbers, I'm talking literally year-to-date or three months, he's fallen back a little. But you don't, um, you know, my advice would be that you don't look at the short-term numbers um, on that basis because Neil Neil Woodford is one of the veterans of fund management and, um, you know, he has delivered over the longer term. So he would be... Uh, one of my favourite fund managers in the equity income space. Uh, are there any fund managers who were once heralded by the media and investors who haven't fared as well in, in given the volatility? Um, oh, this is a, a tricky one. Over the short term, some of those stars have suffered in the short term. Um, I guess I could probably mention Bill Mott, <laughs> Um, you know, he's one of the gurus of investing, and he now runs the Sigma Income Fund. And he launched the fund just under a year ago. And although it's an equity income fund, and it has been very much focused on large companies, which has been the place to be, he has actually underperformed his peer group um, over that period of time. But again, you just have to, you know, stick by some of these um, star managers because longer term they've delivered. And whilst he's in the right area of the market, he's sticking by his guns and saying, well, I'm, he's convinced that where he's invested in the larger companies uh, is where um, the value is and it will outperform longer term. Are there any rising star managers that you would uh, recommend to investors uh managers who haven't been out in the markets for much time but have done very well in a short period? Certainly. um, I'd have to say James Thompson, who runs the Rathbones Global Opportunities Fund. Um, I believe he's only 32 years of age, so compared to uh, the likes of Anthony Bolton and Neil Woodford, he's he's still very young, but he has been running... had the day-to-day management of this fund since, I 
think, 2003. Uh, so, you know, he's got a decent track record now. And um, I consider him a rising star. He's been, he's delivered a phenomenal track record. Um, it, it is a bit of a racier global fund than your average global fund. But what's interesting about this Rathbones fund is that he's sort of delivered emerging market type returns by not even investing in emerging markets. He invests indirectly. Uh, so he's, and it's very, very much a stock-picking fund as well. I know the word gets overused quite a bit, but he, he does look for um, companies that are firing on all cylinders um, and he, it's not a recovery type fund, but um, this is a skill that he has, and he's done very well out of it. That was Mira Patel of Hargreaves Lansdowne. Um, and John, fund performance is something that you look at all the time on Investors Chronicle. There seems to be a move here into more sort of traditional value-orientated funds, and to managers who have got very established track records. And um, do you find that at all surprising? In a way, yes, because. Until recently, there was a lot of talk of people moving from value investing, which had been dominant, to growth investing. But I've often thought, if we're going to an economic recession, is growth investing really going to take off? And it seems that having been hit last year by problems in the financial sector, people are now seeing more value in these value investments. I think it's notable also that a number of the uh, the managers and the funds that people are, are going to um, you know, take Philip Gibbs, Jupiter uh, Financial Opportunities, they are identifying the bombed-out financials stocks and they're buying into them after the big falls we've seen end of 2007 and earlier this year. I think it's all, people should also be aware that investing in these kind of value funds you're going for certain types of companies and for example if you're say an ethical investor you wouldn't want to invest with, with Neil Woodford at Investor Perpetual Income because he holds masses of tobacco stocks and, and oil companies. So it's a, it's a question of um, how ethical and how safe do you want to be Steve, I suppose it's not surprising that um, certain so-called star managers haven't been able to perform as markets fall. You know, it's easy to, to outperform when everything's going up, isn't it? Well, exactly, Matthew. I mean, it always strikes me that you get a hell of a lot of stars coming out of the woodwork um, when markets have gone up uh, strongly, as they have done, of course, in the last three, four years until back end of last year. But as uh, no lesser sage than um, Warren Buffett says, um, it's when the tide goes out, you see who's not wearing any pants. <laughs> I suppose we're seeing exactly which fund managers, uh, yes, are, are being uh, rather overexposed at the, at, at the moment. Well, if you'd like to know um, more uh, about the funds that are uh, doing particularly well and those that uh, haven't really stepped up to the mark, um, you can read Ellen Kelleher's article in FT Money in the Weekend FT on the 23rd of February. And finally today, we have some good news and bad news on flight refunds from BA and Virgin. Um, Steve, you're a frequent flyer, so does this mean that you're going to be able to claim back hundreds of pounds? I hope so, Matthew, especially since um, I'm the generous sort of chap who books family holidays and holidays for friends and then, of course, charges them. Um, the, what you're referring to, of course, is the um, legal settlement over fuel surcharge, price fixing. Um, this concerns flying with BA or Virgin Atlantic 
long haul, so not in Europe, um, between August 2004 and March 2006. Settlements being, is, is, is in the process of being finalised. You'll be able to claim up to £10 per flight leg, i.e. £20 return, but it could also be as little as about £2. Um, the, the, the difference in compensation depends on what they fuel size, the fuel surcharge was at the time. So you'd need to be making a, a number of flights over that sort of two-and-a-bit-year period in order to claim back quite a, quite a lot. But, uh, yes, but, I mean, uh, families, for example, a family of four who had a, you know, one family holiday in Florida, um, you know, could be up for 80 quid. And it's, and it's long-haul flights that we're talking about. What, what actually constitutes a long-haul flight? Well, I had a fascinating uh, conversation about geography with a BA official um, this week. Um, short haul, according to BA, is Europe and Tripoli in and Libya. At, at, what, just Tripoli? Just Tripoli, yes. Um, how odd. It, how odd, indeed. Long haul could include, um, even though the, the settlement is, is mainly aimed at transatlantic flyers and true long haul people, i.e., you know, those are sort of overnight flights to Asia and all the rest of it. Um, According to a BA spokesman, it could be possible that you could claim this £10 per flight leg, £20 return for flights uh, if, if you flew within this qualifying period to Morocco, Egypt, Israel. These are all supposedly long haul, these, these even are though they take haul, only a few yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah. So you need to really check what constitutes short haul, what constitutes long yes. haul. Yes, and there's a lot of doubt at the moment about how easy this whole compensation process should be. It's meant to have been taken away from the airlines, so they shouldn't be able to make it difficult for you. And, and at best, you should just have to give your name, passport number, frequent flyer number, possibly possibly not even the exact date you flew. They might be able to sort of cross-reference, and then you'll just get the cheque. The cheque will come out of the blue. Um, there is a website um, that's been set up um, by the um, or with the, the lawyers who brought um, the action against Virgin and BA, which is, was actually in the US but does actually cover UK consumers. Um, that website is www.airpassengerrefund.co.uk. Um, there's also a telephone number 0800 30343. Now, the, the virtue of registering there is when the claims procedure is finalised, you'll get to hear exactly what you need to do. How long will it take? Years? Well, it, it, there seems to be a deadline of, of, of five years away to, to, to make a claim, albeit that the, the, the settlement should be finalised in the next couple of months. Um, it needs to go through a sort of legal process. Um, and then you should be able to claim thereafter and, and, and supposedly checks, you know, maybe with people, maybe by late summer, maybe even by early summer. So you, you could be uh, quids in... Uh, before too long. Mm. Well, I'm too much of a cheapskate to ever fly with BA. I'm, I'm always on these sort of low-cost, ridiculous airlines, so uh, nothing there for me. John, do you, uh, do you have any money you can claim back? No, I, I don't really fly. Fair enough. Uh, commendable low-carbon footprint, perhaps. So it sounds like uh, if you flew to Texas or Thailand, but not Tripoli, uh, you could be... Um, quids in and the details of how to claim that website and the telephone number that Steve mentioned will be in his article which is with FT Money in the weekend FT on the 23rd of February. 
And that's all we have time for in this week's FT Money Show. Remember that you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. And we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Steve and John. Goodbye. Bye. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.